Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. And I'm Justin. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone around the world. Um, we are continuing to just uh, make episodes and just fulfill a dream that I've always had of trying to figure out if all this musical knowledge I've been acquiring has any use <laughs> or if it was just for the heck of it. And here you are. Here I am. So right now we're actually doing a double recording, so I don't have any fresh stats on uh, how our episodes have been doing. We just finished recording our Van Halen episode, and now we're recording this one. Now obviously music touches everything in our world today, and as always, there's always something happening in the music world. And this particular week, Lucas? Oh man, we had some very big um, news drop this week, which is the revealing of the Class of 2020 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations. I was very surprised to see a couple of names. Yeah, so let me let me let me talk a little bit about the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's something that I love but also get so frustrated with at the same time. It's very much a love-hate relationship. Um I am very much into award seasons of any kind. Anytime the Oscars or the Emmys or the Grammys are going on, like I'm always really interested. And I love hearing when the nominations come out and, of course, tuning in to see who wins or, in this case, who gets in. I've been following the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for about probably five years now is when I really started to seriously follow it every year. And, man... This is probably the best batch of nominees that I've ever seen. Obviously, the years that I've been passed when all of these classic artists were getting in, those were good years, but what a great group of artists to potentially get inducted in this year. So there's 16 nominees. There's not really a set number on how many get in each year. Usually it's somewhere around five or six. And so I'm I'm going to be really curious to see who gets in, but but this is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes, and so that does come with its controversy because there are people that have been nominated and people that have gotten in that are not rock and roll. Like this year we've got the notorious BIG right uh, being nominated, which is not surprising to me ever since they started letting in hip-hop artists like a couple years ago tupac got into the rock and roll hall of fame he's still alive man oh well <laughs> you and my wife agree on that fact <laughs> <laughs> and uh nwa had gotten in before and um so it's like that door is opening yeah because whitney houston is on the list yep and there there have been pop artists that have gotten in as well there's de- it's definitely not only rock and roll and it makes me kind of wish that it was renamed like the Music Hall of Fame. Right. But of course, when they made it, they were only inducting rock and roll artists. And rock and roll was the dominant force at the time that they established this. Um, this. Let me, I'm going to say that differently. And of course, rock and roll was the dominant force whenever they built this establishment, which was in the mid 80s. And so, you know, they were only thinking about inducting rock and roll artists or at least the people that were 
heavily influential on rock and roll artists. But now, I mean, eventually you're going to run out of classic rock artists to induct, so you've got to be able to widen. Especially that now that net. rock is not exactly uh, for a while, it hasn't been something that's been very popular. Yeah. But it does make for some interesting conversation. There are a lot of people that get really irritated that um, pop and hip-hop and these other genres, even country, are being able to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, And also just sometimes there are bands that deserve to get in that just for whatever reason just cannot get in. Um, there are bands that have been waiting years, like last year, uh, the zombies finally got in and they've been eligible since almost the time that the rock and roll hall of fame was established and they're, they just now got in and they've been deserving of it the whole time. And so, and there's still tons of artists, um, that still haven't got in as you've have seen with the list of nominees, like the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, I was amazed that they haven't been inducted yet. Not only have they not been inducted, this is the first time they've ever been nominated. That's amazing. Which is just incredible to me. I just can't believe it. Like there's just there's been bands that have just waited forever. Like Journey just got in like three years ago. That's a travesty. Um and bands like Chicago and Def Leppard finally got in last year. Yeah, I saw that. Bon Jovi got in a couple years ago. And these bands have been eligible for a long time. The way you can't be eligible until it's been 25 years since your first significant release. So that's kind of the, the, the cutoff. So every year there's a new batch of artists that are eligible for the very first time. So as long as it's been 25 years – then you're able to get nominated. And the way it works is just there's this mysterious board of um, people in the music industry that just vote on it. And really this is just to kind of highlight some of music's greatest contributions. Yeah. And the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony is always really fun to watch. A lot of times I discover new bands that I really fall in love with after watching their induction ceremony. That's what happened to me with the cars when they got in a couple years ago, which can't believe it took them that long to get in. But I remember watching their induction ceremony and that sparking my curiosity to go, okay, I want to listen to these guys more. And so I do think that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a great tool of exposing people to some new bands because not only do they do the induction speech, they like play a little montage video, and then if the band is still together or at least enough of the band is together, they'll actually get up and play a few songs. And so you'll get to actually hear these artists. So it's going to be really interesting to see who gets in this year because it is a really stacked field. And I feel like this year they're really trying to right a lot of wrongs of people that they have snubbed for a long time, like the Doobie Brothers, like Motorhead. Um, That's one of the things that makes me the angriest is the fact that in the last few years, all three of Motorhead's members are passed away. There's no one alive left in the band, and they very well could have been inducted before that happened because they all passed away in a fairly short window. 
and the fact that they could get inducted this year, which would be great, but that none of them would be able to get to experience that really just makes me sad. And then, like, you look at Soundgarden. They couldn't induct them while Chris Cornell was still alive. They couldn't induct Whitney Houston when she was still alive. And all these bands that have important contributors. Thin Lizzy's another one. Um, obviously, he died before the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was even established. But still, they should have been inducted long before now. And, you know, it's just... I really don't want the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to induct these people after they've already passed away. A big one for me a couple years ago was one of my all-time favorite bands, Yes, finally got in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And their key member, the person that's been with the band on every single album, the only person in that band to be on every single album, Chris Squire, who was the bass player, he passed away the year before they finally got inducted. And they had been eligible for nomination for over 20 years. And they never got in until he passed away. And it was just like, that was a sting. That's kind of the love-hate relationship I have. I love seeing bands get the honor that they deserve. But at the same time, I just, I wish they would get it right more of the time. But I think that a lot is going to be right this year. I really can't see a set of inductees that's going to make me very upset because all of these artists with a couple of exceptions of the newer ones but a lot of these artists are people that have been trying to get in for a while and i think that it's going to be a really fun ceremony to see them finally get in and so when do we find out who gets in uh sometime in january they didn't give us a specific date but they said sometime in january which is interesting because normally they reveal it in december so they're taking a little extra time this year. And then they won't actually be inducted until May. It's a pretty long process. It is a really long process. It's kind of like by the time the whole induction ceremony is over, you're kind of already uh, anticipating the next set of nominations. Now, I also saw this year that there is a fan vote for the first time. Is that right? No, it's actually not the first time. Okay. Uh, I've participated in the fan vote many times over the years. And, but the fan vote is a really, really great thing. Typically, whoever gets in the top three of the fan vote is a really great indicator of who's actually going to get in. Um, the times that bands like Kiss finally got nominated, they won the fan poll and they ended up getting in. Same thing happened to Rush, Journey, Chicago, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi. These were all artists that topped the fan vote in their respective years and these were all artists that were trying a really long time to get in and they won the fan vote and not that winning the fan vote assures that you get in the rock hall of fame but i haven't seen it yet to where they win the fan vote and don't get in so it's a really great way first off to involve the people that you know made these stars because i mean a star doesn't get popular unless the people listen to them. But it's a really good way to kind of gauge on who has the best chance of getting in. And so before we wrap up on this topic, I'm going to go on the record right now and say who I think is going to get in this year. 
Again, we don't have a specific number on like if it's usually in the five to seven area. I'm just going to pick six. If there ends up being five, cool. If there ends up being seven, cool. But I'm going to pick six that I think are going to get in. I think that the Doobie Brothers are going to get in. I think I think Motorhead's going to get in. I'm going to go with Nine Inch Nails. I'm going to say Notorious B.A.G. is going to get in. After this, this is get hard. I think Depeche Mode is going to get in. And I think Whitney Houston's going to get in. I think that she's such a big name that even nominating her kind of locks you into having to induct her. So there you have it. Those are our guesses on who's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. But let's get into our episode for this week. And At the end of the last one, teased a little bit about a band that is uh, currently on its way out, which is really, really sad because they're one of the institutions of heavy metal and one of the most influential, not just metal bands, but probably bands of all time. And that band is... Slayer. The way you just did that sounds like every song that they, at least on this list, that, that the, <laughs> the lead singer sounds like. He actually doesn't have that raspy of a voice compared to what came after it. Well, especially once we get into the bonus song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. First things first, Lucas, tell us who is Slayer. Slayer has always been four people. Not the same four people, but okay. always four people. Uh, we've got two people that have been with the band since the inception, and that is bassist slash vocalist Tom Araya. Wow, slash vocalist. Mm-hmm. We've got um, a co-lead guitarist, so there are two leads okay. in this band, and that is Carrie King. And then... Um, the songs that we're going to be and the period we're going to be looking at in Slayer is that initial period, which is those first five records, which span from 83 to 90. Wow. Now, hang on a second, because when I when we first talked about Slayer, I didn't realize how long they've been around. They have. They were one of the they they were one of the originators originators of thrash metal. So yeah. they came out. They were barely beat by Metallica as far as when their first album came out. Metallica's first album came out just a few months before Slayer's did, but they were contemporaries for sure. Well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about kind of thrash in general here in a second after I kind of go through the members of Slayer because that's going to be a very important thing to know when we're talking about this band. Got you got to know what thrash is. So you got Tom Araya, bassist and vocalist. Uh, you've got Carrie King, who is uh, one of the lead guitar players. Then you had Jeff Hanneman, who was in the other lead guitar player, who was with the band until he passed away in 2013 from uh, liver failure because he drank lots of alcohol. And then you had Dave Lombardo on drums, at least during this period. So that's like the classic lineup. Got it. So the classic lineup got disrupted whenever Dave Lombardo left after the Seasons of the Abyss album. And they got, got another guy named Paul Bostaff who played all throughout the 90s and the early 2000s. And then Dave Lombardo came back in like 2006. And it was the same, the original four guys again, all the way up until um, Jeff Hanneman died. And then Dave Lombardo left again. 
and didn't come back. And they brought back Paul Bostaff. And then they also, to fill out Jeff Hanneman's spot on guitar, they got Exodus guitar player Gary Holt, which Exodus is another thrash metal band. Of course. Great, great band, but not as big or as important as Slayer is. So now that we know who Slash is, sorry, not Slash, now that we know who <laughs> Slayer is, you know who the band is, and what are some of the defining characteristics of Slayer? Evil. Okay. So they were kind of the – of course, they themselves are not evil people. Of course not. But, I mean, evil sells, as Alice Cooper showed, and um, just other – other bands throughout the years, they, they use it as a marketing tool. They know that, you know, the more that parents and religious authorities and government authorities are offended and are telling people don't listen to it, the more the kids are going to want to go out and listen of to course. it. And um, they just – that's they have a worldview that is very um, confrontational. A very big aspect of why they write the way they do is because they want to present the way they see things in a very blunt and in-your-face way. They they want to highlight the things that are going on in the world and tell you this is what's actually happening whether you like it or not, mm. whether you're offended or not. And we're going to tell you the way that we want to tell it. And so – they're an incredibly controversial band, one of the most controversial metal bands of all time, more so than Slipknot ever was, um, just because they really pushed the envelope at the time that they were, um, at the time that they were in their glory days, which would have been the eighties. And um, hang on, you said in the eighties that was those glory days. Oh yeah. So no. in the eighties we had Slayer. A band like Slayer that was just as big as a band like Van Halen. No, they weren't. So here's the thing. They weren't obviously on the radio. Okay. They weren't selling out stadiums. But the thrash underground movement was was very, very big in the 80s. Okay. Again, underground. They didn't – they never broke big like Metallica did. But as far as what they did for heavy metal specifically – I would say very few other metal bands have compared because pretty much they are like the reason death metal exists. Mm. So we've gotten a little bit already now into the history of Slayer. So you said you wanted to talk about thrash metal as a whole. I think it's really important to understand what thrash is, what was going on, and kind of where Slayer fit into that picture. So thrash metal really... There were there were some songs and artists that hinted at where thrash metal would go. Like for instance, Queen's song "Stone Cold Crazy" is often cited as an early thrash yeah, song. Of course, uh, Motorhead was looked at as yeah. a as an early thrash band, specifically with the song "Overkill." Um, you had songs like Judas Priest's "Exciter" and um, bands like Venom that kind of were setting a lot of the template. But the first band to actually put it all together and create this new sound was Metallica. And when their first album, Kill 'Em All, came out in 83, that was like the official starting point for this new subgenre of heavy metal music. 
what thrash is, it's very fast. Picked up on that. Uh, very technical. Yeah. It's very riff oriented. Yes. And typically you have dual lead or sometimes rhythm okay. and lead. Yeah, that explains a lot. And then you have lyrics that are a lot of times talking about war and about the atrocities of war. You have a lot of societal lyrics about talking about what's wrong with society, what's wrong with you know the government, what's wrong with authority, uh, a lot of times what's wrong with the church, and just kind of like taking the things that they're angry about and like saying this is this is what's making us mad right now and we're going to tell you about it and you need to be informed and make your own decision about it and not just follow what the media tells you or what people just tell you like don't think about it just do as we say right thrash is very much against like that line of thinking like you need to be educated and make your own decisions you need, need to know what's really happening so that's kind of where thrash it's, it's, it's not as much about like the blood and guts like death metal is. It's not as much about the fantasy and the storytelling like Iron Maiden is. Um, it's not as much introspective like maybe Slipknot would be where it's mo- a lot about like the inner turmo- turmoil of the mind or about personal relationship type stuff. It's very much looking at like a lot of big picture of like – Kind of like the terrible things that human beings have done throughout history. And so – and then also thrash metal likes to talk about thrash metal. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Which is another kind of strange area to get into, although Slayer does not. Um, So – in thrash metal, you, we have what's called the big four, which is the big four thrash bands. Metallica, obviously. Slayer is one of them. Megadeth is the third. And okay. Anthrax is the fourth. All bands I've heard about. Mm-hmm. So those are the big four. And they each kind of almost play a different role. Metallica is kind of like the best of the four as far as just like they are the most advanced compositionally. They are the most diverse as far as what influences they're going to pull from and obviously they're the ones most willing to like reach a mass audience now i can't remember if you said this last week but you were saying that metallica only metallica benefited from being on radio is that correct yes but not for a while like metallica's first album came out in 83 they didn't get on the radio until 91 Mm. it was on their fifth album that they like broke big although they were starting to head that way, but they were also in the underground along with the other thrash metal bands in the 80s. But that's also when they were making, in my opinion, their best music. Gotcha. Um, the, the albums that are now considered the classics. Um, so you had Metallica that was like the, the most accessible of the four. Then you had Megadeth that was the... Um, the most self-destructive and the most dangerous one as far as just like these people were just like on the edge the whole time and uh, they were definitely um, the most concerned with like complexity as far as just creating these like incredibly insane riffs and these really intricate guitar solos and they were kind of out to be like the meanest and the fastest 
Then you had Anthrax. That's kind of like the party thrash band. Okay. They have the, they're the ones that have the most sense of humor in their writing and a lot of irony and a lot of sarcasm. They've got the most punk influence of mm, the four. I think I've heard that. They've got a lot more of like the gang vocals. Yeah. And they actually are the only ones that of the four that have a proper like classically trained lead singer that has a bit more of the operatic mm. style. Whereas with most thrash, it's more of the barking, shouting, yeah. even though it's not the screaming or the guttural, it's definitely a much more aggressive style. And then you've got Slayer, who is the the scary one, the evil one, the, the one that is going to really breach into the topics that no one else is going to. And so – and also they really were the fastest. They're, they're one of the fastest metal bands out there. Hmm. So – and then of course there's tons of other thrash bands as well. But those were the main four. And so – and they kind of just they, – they were able to play off of each other a little bit because they weren't – even though they were in the same genre, they weren't directly competing because they both brought something a little different to the thrash pie, if you will. They were each its own unique slice. So, um, so that's kind of thrash in a nutshell. Hopefully I explained that fairly well to where you can kind of understand. Yeah. And since you kind of broached on this a little bit, give us a little history about Slayer. Cause I'm, I'm, this is what I'm really most interested in right now is that, that the fact that they have been around for so long, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they certainly probably have a very interesting history as well. They do. So thrash was born in San Francisco, and what's it's called Bay Area Thrash. Okay, that's where Metallica came from. That's where Megadeth came from. Slayer came from there. Anthrax was actually the only one that didn't. They came from New York, but there were also a lot of other minor thrash bands that came from San Francisco as well. It's kind of where the scene was, and so of course, very close to L.A. Thrash was a response to hair metal, which you love. Uh-huh. They hated it. Interesting. They felt that they were too concerned on image, on getting on the radio, on getting chicks. And they were just like, no, that's not what metal in its essence is about. Metal is about darkness. It's about um, pushing the envelope. It's about, you know, you go on stage with just a tattered T-shirt and jeans with no makeup on, nothing done with your hair. And you just, you know... You just look like a bunch of tough, angry dudes that are just playing aggressive music. And so Thrash really was born out of their hatred of what metal was turning into, which was a bunch of people dressing almost like girls and mm-hmm. how in hair metal was. And, you know, using all the key, like using keyboards in a Thrash song is like sacrilegious. Sure. Um, even getting on the radio, which when Metallica did it, that was a big deal. Just like, the thrash band on the radio like a lot of thrash purists were really angry that metallica did that because it was just like you're supposed to stay underground and right. represent us and they're just now like, you're in the mainstream uh-huh it all was just like oh metallica went they it sold, sold out. out yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly but slayer never sold out i mean i don't know how they ever could with a sound that they had so um but so they they were a part of that scene in San Francisco, their first album came out in 83, Show No Mercy. 
Show No Mercy is one of the weirdest sounding Slayer albums because they're still carrying a lot of their Judas Priest Iron Maiden influence as far as kind of the way they write their guitar parts. You have a lot more of the higher pitched screams from Tom Araya, whereas later he would abandon that. Um, it's, it's very much a, you can tell where their influences were, but that they're trying to do something a little more new. Then you've got the second album, Hell Awaits, and that's kind of like, okay, now they're stepping into, um, what Slayer is, which is like very aggressive, very unmelodic, very dark satanic metal. And, but they had a really, really crappy production. Like the Hell Awaits album sounds terrible mm. just because they, again, they're, they're not on like a big label, they're right. an underground band. They're kind of pretty much just trying to make the album on their own in a way. Um, then we get to the third album, the seminal record, Rain and Blood, which is considered by many people to maybe be the greatest metal album of all time. Like there's usually three I'd say four albums that like are constantly battling each other for greatest metal album of all time. I kind of talked about this a little bit on the Iron Maiden episode. Yeah. You've got Black Sabbath's Paranoid. You've got Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast. You've got Metallica's Master of Puppets. And you've got Slayer's Reign and Blood. They're all kind of competing on what's the greatest metal album of all time. Depending on who you ask, it's going to usually be one of those four. And the crazy thing is that Rain and Blood and Master of Puppets came out the same year, 1986. From the same area, too. Mm -hmm. Crazy. But here's the thing that was really cool about Rain and Blood. They uh, they got onto a proper label. And have you ever heard of a producer named Rick Rubin? Nope. He's actually known for producing hip-hop. Oh, okay. Like, he did the Beastie Boys. And, like, he, he had never done hard rock or metal before, but then all of a sudden he's got Slayer. <laughs> and so he applies the principles that he uses with hip hop to mixing Slayer. And you've got one of the best sounding metal albums ever made. And that was the album that kind of, as far as in the underground, just put on just like, okay, Slayer is like one of the leading bands that's pushing metal forward. The album is not even 30 minutes long, and it's got 10 tracks on it. Mm. That's how fast they're playing. Crazy. The songs are, like, on average clocking in at, like, two and a half minutes. Wow. Because they're just they're, – but it's just – it's incredible from start to finish, just what they're doing. Um, and it's just a very fast record. So then the fourth album, South of Heaven, they're just like, we can't get faster than what we just did. So let's do the opposite. Let's make a really slow record. Mm. That would explain at least the song that's on the list, of mm -hmm. course. So it's just like, how can we still have this really oppressive feel and atmosphere while playing things slower? And so that's kind of where that where they come in with that. And then 1990, Seasons in the Abyss, is almost like a combination of the two. You've got really, really fast songs, but you've also got these slower, more brooding songs. Yeah, a little more experimental, too, it seems yeah. like. uh-huh. And then after that album, Dave Lombardo leaves, and the band was kind of never the same after that. And again, like I had said in the Iron Maiden episode, it was really hard to be uh, an experienced metal band in the 90s. 
Yeah. Because obviously Slayer was not going to try and go the grunge aspect. But what they did try to do is they tried to go more of the the groove and new metal route, which is was being led by bands like Pantera and Korn and uh and to some extent Limp Biscuit. Kind of those were the bands that were also big in the nineties. Oh, Limp Biscuit. <laughs> That's a band I haven't heard of in a long time. Yeah, we shan't talk about them again for a while. But then they actually had a pretty great two thousands comeback. It was kind of a really, uh, really creepy thing that happened. There, they had an album called "God Hates Us All," and it came out on nine eleven. Oof! And so the album got pulled for for a hot minute, and then obviously Slayer was just like, "No, you can't do that though," because it's actually saying stuff that's like relevant to what's going on at this point, at yeah. least from their perspective. And so they got, they were just like, "We're gonna keep releasing the album," but. That's kind of weird that that came out on 9-11. And um, then they just continued to make albums. Their last album came out in, I want to say, 2015 or 2016 called Repentless. And and so right now they're on their farewell tour. And last year I got to see them on that farewell tour in Oklahoma City at the Zoo Amphitheater. Wow. And what a show that was. Maybe the best concert experience I've ever had. I was down in the pit, like just body to body of just people going crazy. They had four opening acts, all all metal legends. You had Napalm Death, you had Testament, you had Anthrax, and you had Lamb of God. And then they were all... The opening acts, all people that could headline by themselves, and then Slayer comes on, and you're just like, I understand why these people were opening, because this is Slayer, and an incredible show, a show I will never forget for the rest of my life. I was so happy that I was able to get to them, and I got to see them at least once before they call it quits. Did you see that show with Dale? Yes, I did. Okay. I remember he told me about that. Mm Mm-hmm. What a fun show that was. Um, so, yeah, right now they are on the last leg of the last tour. November 30th is going to be the final mm. Slayer show ever. And so they are on their way out. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wanted to do this episode now. I gotcha. know that this is not you're – not, you're not at this level of metal yet. <laughs> but it was just like I can't not let them end their career and me not talk about them. Sure, that's fair. So that's the reason why. Like normally, I would have waited a long time for you to, for me to give you Slayer, because you kind of got you got several more levels to ease into, because extreme metal owes its origins really to Slayer, a couple other bands as well, but Slayer being one of the biggest, right? Specifically, death metal. Death metal came about a year after Slayer's Rain and Blood album. Rain and Blood is kind of what a lot of people consider maybe to be the first, like, proto-death metal record because it kind of is even extreme for thrash metal's uh, parameters. So, uh, yeah. So that's Slayer. There you have it. A Mm -hmm. brief history of Slayer and, of course, the big thing, thrash metal as a whole. Yeah. So, um, 
we'll talk more about thrash metal when we get to some of these other bands and we've already talked about metallica um but i felt it necessary to kind of because when you get into metal you got to make sure you know your subgenres. it makes a lot more sense when you're listening to them if you kind of know where they fit in the puzzle all right we're gonna take a short break but when we get back we're gonna be talking about the six songs from this legendary band slayer hang on tight another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We are talking about none other than the mighty Slayer this week, who is on the last leg of their farewell tour right now. Really sad because they're kind of one of the first metal bands to have to call it quits. We had Black Sabbath do their farewell tour a couple years ago. But really, besides that, like all the other bands are still out there right now. And Slayer, compared to a few others, are not as older in their 50s, maybe getting a little closer to 60. But the type of music they play, like that's got to wear on your body so much Mm. playing as fast as they do and as physical as they are on stage it is interesting considering how big metal is right now Mm -hmm. in our world today yeah and i'm sure if slayer came out with like a new album tomorrow like people would be all over themselves oh yeah that's how they were when the last album came out um but also when when you lose such an important member like jeff hanneman back in 2013 like a lot of people were even wondering if they would release one more album and mm. they did with the last one with some ideas that he still had um and it's just you know Tom Araya is kind of the biggest one pushing to ending cuz he he's a grandpa now and so he like wants to spend time with his grandkids and he's actually like one of the like nicest chillest people and he's actually catholic <laughs> that's hilarious yeah <laughs> And he's just like, even in in these interviews, he's like the nicest. He like laughs all the time and he's got like this really soft spoken voice. Is he the, I saw a picture of him on, um, on Spotify. Is he bald and he's got like a goatee? No, that's Carrie King. Okay. Uh, Tom Mariah's the, the, um, he's got the curly hair. Oh, okay. Interesting. I'm trying to think of what picture that is. He's got, got, he's got a really big beard. Yeah. I think th- it's weird the way that they had it set up. I couldn't really tell like who was the main person. Yeah, there really kind of isn't one. There's gotcha. not like one person that dominates in Slayer. It's kind of always been a, a very equal partnership. Hmm. Um, for the most part, the the guitar players would write the songs, and then Tom Araya would write songs as well, but not as much. And then the drummer, like Dave Lombardo, is maybe the greatest metal drummer of all time just he pioneered uh metal drumming um like with the double bass and the double time and gotcha he just he really took metal drumming to that level that it needed to go for it to evolve all right with all that being said let's talk about these six songs so if you are tuning in for the very first time uh what I like to do is I pick normally six songs to help 
illustrate an artist. Like, for instance, Justin here has never listened to Slayer. What are the six songs that I present that try to give him the best picture of what Slayer is? While also at the same time trying to pick six songs that have an, a great emotional arc to them. And uh, to have something that has a great experience from start to finish. So it's not necessarily me picking my six favorite songs. Or their six most popular songs. Or what I think are their six best songs. Rather, what are the six songs that best fit together while at the same time giving as good of a first impression as possible. So if your favorite Slayer song does not appear on this list, and there is one song of theirs, probably their most popular one, that is not on this list. And I know that that is controversial, but honestly, with the way the songs panned out, I didn't see where it fits. So don't worry. We'll, we'll talk about it someday, but probably much farther in the future when Justin understands heavy metal a little more. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, man. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Never say never. Um, but anyway, so that's our what we're doing here. So with this, let's look at our very first song. Angel of Death. Angel now, of Death. Before we begin, I have to preface to our listeners, metal is not my favorite genre, and so listening through this list was very difficult for me. But I pulled through... And I do have some, well, let's just say, interesting tidbits for Lucas on yeah. what my thoughts were. I am very curious your perspective on some of these songs. So Angel of Death is the first song on their Rain and Blood album. How about this for an intro to Slayer? Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you start the song off, you immediately know what you're in for. I mean, the such an interesting guitar line that kind of carries throughout the song, which I was a little surprised just because of our experience with Iron Maiden and even just with um, with Slipknot, they were constantly changing things. And to hear like a band that kind of keep that consistent m- melody throughout the song was definitely mm-hmm. not something that I was expecting. And then were you taken aback when you heard that high-pitched squeal? Did you think it was a guitar and then you realized? Oh, yeah. And then you realize it's him screaming? Yeah, I was definitely... Um, Henwin's vocals throughout all these songs, honestly, are are an interesting part. I mean, some of it is just like what I expected mm-hmm. from a metal band, but there are some parts that are just like, oh man, like that was actually either really tasteful or that was actually an interesting way in how he introduces vocals into the song. Mm-hmm. I and mean, then, of course, for me, I think, I mean, the best part of the song is just this shred sesh in the <laughs> breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is a. Slayer introduced a new type of soloing, which Mm. is soloing that is devoid of any melody and just sounds like you're just being assaulted by this wave of Assaulted is a great word. Yes. Like, it almost sounds like they're just hitting random notes. And some slides. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, They definitely do the dive bomb, which was uh, pioneered by Eddie Van Halen. That's right. That's what I was going to say. My... One of my favorite parts of the song is after the second chorus, I guess you can call it a chorus, sure. uh, and it goes to that slower riff, that and then that, that drum, and it's just like, oh, what a head-banging moment. Yeah, there's another song that I that I was going to talk about, and similar to this, that we'll get into, but it was kind of interesting, almost a, 
almost Iron Maiden, like just with how just kind of how they shifted the pace a little bit, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what keeps this song from sounding too monotonous. So that's actually a very Slayer trademark. Is they're known for their mid-song slowdown. Mm. Not necessarily that the dynamics will change, but usually they go to a slower tempo for kind of like the middle part of a song. Gotcha. That's that's a very Slayer thing to do. They do it on a lot of their songs. They have like a breakdown that they do. Again, it's not usually like going to something softer, but rather they just they're slowing it down and getting more into like a a headbanger feel. And then you've got that amazing drum break towards the end where yeah. he goes – he's just going straight to the double kick. OK. That's what I thought it was. So it's uh, he's doing that with his feet, not his hands. And man, the drumming on this song is just I, – I can't even fathom playing this song because this song is just so fast, so much double bass going on. Like this was a very pioneering song for metal drums. Yeah, and definitely a hallmark song for Slayer. I mean, just everything that you think of Slayer is just encapsulated in this opening song for sure. Yeah, this is definitely one of their most popular songs. And in my opinion, I think that this is like their their masterwork song. Like this is like their their crown jewel even though it's not their most their most popular song there's another song that's that that's not on this list but Angel of Death I think is like their greatest moment when I was at their concert this was the song they ended the concert with mm. and that was a really interesting choice for me which I loved it I thought that was a really cool thing to do and um and then let's talk about the lyrics a little bit so were you able to pick up at all what they were singing about no <laughs> So this actually, the song is actually about World War II. Okay. About um, a Nazi scientist by the name of Joseph Mengele. Okay. Yep. Have you heard of him? Yes. So he was known for doing all of these like really t- horrifying experiments on uh, the Jews in the not- in the concentration camps, and there was a lot of controversy around whether or not scientists should use what he found out. Because like he definitely found out a lot of things, but he did a he did them in such terrible, horrific ways that like you could never justify what he did. But at the same time, he kind of taught people about some things about the human body. So there was kind of a lot of debate on whether or not his research should be used. Mm. But pretty much that song is just kind of like detailing what he did. Got it. And. They got a lot of criticism with this song because a lot of people then started to say, these guys must be Nazi sympathizers. Right, they're anti-Seminists. And they're just like, no, that is not true at all. They're just kind of like, we're approaching this in the same way that like a a history documentary would. And just like, we're just kind of like telling you what happened. We're not saying that we gl- we love what he did. We're just like making people known that like, this is what happened during in the concentration camps, like kind of like without flinching, like going into detail, the things that happened. Um, he like that, that whole middle section is them talking about some of the experiments. Gotcha. And so talking about, you know, um, you know, sewing people's heads together and, uh, seeing how long people could survive in a, in a frozen water pail. Um, seeing, you know what would happen to the to your skin under under extreme heat 
um, in, injecting pressure into people's heads to kind of see how much they could take. Like, just a lot of really twisted stuff. But it's just kind of, you know, they're just, they're like presenting the facts. But they got a lot of controversy for it because it's also, I'm sure. it's also pretty gruesome. <laughs> but I mean, that's metal for you. And that takes us to our next song, Piece by Piece. So this is actually the next song on the Rain and Blood album. Gotcha. So I just, I loved the one-two punch of this. And so you'll hear me use that term a lot, specifically when I'm talking about metal albums. Because it is what it is. It's a punch. This is a much shorter song, but I just, I love the groove throughout this song. It's kind of like a galloping style here. Mm-hmm. Because it's in that, in that triple feel. Especially that opening yeah. riff right there. And then before it goes into the double time when, once the vocals come in. Mm-hmm. And there's a kind of an interesting break, like after, once the vocals come in, there's some interesting breaks musically yeah. that they bring in there. Mm-hmm. But this is this. I don't think the song even hits the two minute mark. It's like a minute fifty eight or something like that. So much speed on this song. But yeah, so much happens in it. Like they go through like so many different riffs. Yeah. Without it sounding like they're just pasting a bunch of different riffs together. Well, and even just like from the vocal standpoint, like especially in the breakdown, Hanneman can't almost can't even get out all the words. In yeah. Time. There's that one part where he's just like literally flying through the words. So this song. They don't know who specific. They think the song might be about Jeffrey Dahmer and just about how he was a serial killer. But his particular mo is that he would save people's body parts, and so that's what this song is about. Is he's, it's this you know this serial killer that's literally keeping body parts as a trophy, piece by piece, mm-hmm. piece <laughs> by piece. I do and, like the ending on this song though, especially yeah, uh, when it's it, you just you feel the tension rising mm-hmm. as you get to the end. And he hits that last piece by piece, yeah. and it just ends right there. Yeah, I think it's a really good way to end, especially just based off how much speed they've been going at the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then to end so abruptly is actually kind of really nice. Yeah, it's I. This was a song I didn't discover until a little bit later into listening to Slayer, but it was kind of like once I heard it, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is an incredible song. And so this is one of my favorite songs to just like, like just go crazy to. <laughs> A lot of when I listen to Slayer, I'm not like listening, listening. It's kind of more of like I get into a zone of just me headbanging and like shaking my arms and just almost going into like this primal mode. <laughs> For a lot of metal music, that's kind of what the point is. Yeah, I've gathered you're n- that. You're not like listening for hooks. You're not listening for a lot of moments, although there are some. Um, it's kind of more about the experience. You're just like letting go and just like letting inhibitions take over. Yeah. Or like letting the raw aggression that's in you, like get out of you. Like I find myself very peaceful after I listen to Slayer mm. because I kind of feel if I have any bad mojo in me, it kind of just like leaves my body. It's kind of like, okay, I feel really calm now, <laughs> which is Slayer says that's how they feel. They get off of stage and they're just like, they feel really zen. Mm. Well, that takes us into our next song, Die by the Sword. Yeah, so this is off of the first album. So this is the song that I really wanted to use to kind of show what they sounded like in that beginning phase and how it's it really sounds different than all the other songs. Yes, it does. It, It sounds a little more traditional metal. Obviously, with they've already got that darkness injected yeah. into it, but you can hear more normal metal riffs and guitar yeah. lines, and even soloing is a little more normal yeah. on this song. I kind of felt like 
it kind of sounds like an ACDC song, but just sped up by a lot. Mm-hmm. Or like a really dark Iron Maiden song. Yeah, like there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of noticeable riffs that you're just like, oh, especially uh, melodic riffs that you mm-hmm. normally wouldn't have found on some Like you could stuff. hum along to it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that's uh, that song I kind of wanted to use deliberately as a as a way to show. And also, it's just a, it's a ripping song. Yeah, although they slow down later in it, which mm-hmm. you're not really expecting, which was kind yeah, of a nice kind change. Yeah, kind of And interesting use of, um, I think, I can't tell if it's like a whammy bar or if they're just using their fingers. Like, is there some kind of effect that happens in that same breakdown as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, uh, they're known for using their whammy bar a lot. Okay. So the, I think that's what's going on there. And then the vocal effect during the, yes. the breakdown as well to kind of give it that that scarier sound. Yeah. It's kind of funny. You, you said it already, but just like there's a lot of hallmarks of just traditional, like more mainstream metal music in mm-hmm. here, which isn't really what I would have thought of when it came to, to Slayer. Yeah. The first album, they're kind of still figuring out what their unique sound is because like whenever the band first met up, like the way that they – they bonded and grew as a band as they would play like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden covers. Mm. So that's what they what they established themselves as and what they whenever they would go club, that's like predominantly what their sets were. Gotcha. And then they kind of started to develop more on their own. So this takes us into our fourth song, South of Heaven. So this is when we get a little bit of a, a change of pace here. This is probably the most interesting song to me. Yeah. Um on this list. Just because I really kind of like this ominous intro guitar line. It's very interesting. Um, I like that it's kind of just like bare by itself. Like there's nothing else around it. And it's just kind of doing a you lot of the You can even hear the lifting. strings being oh, struck yeah. by the pick. Absolutely. Or normally you don't notice that. Like you can hear the impact of the pick hitting the strings on that. I also love how it just builds throughout the entire verse and then into the chorus with the halftime before it finally kind of, you know, goes floor to the floor, what you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of where it's, you can feel it like it going off the rails, mm-hmm. but in a good way where it's just, it's like it's building towards that moment of chaos. I think the drums also sound so good on this track particularly. Yes. Uh-huh. And I think it helps that he's playing slower and you can really hear the hits. Yeah. But like all those Tom fills that he does throughout the song yeah. are Top notch. This song, I mean, for whatever reason, I, I was going to ask you just because earlier in the first segment you had mentioned just about um, the new producer that they, ha- they had. Did he produce this particular album? I don't believe he did, but okay. they definitely, you know, it's kind of like the bar was set on what they wanted to sound like because they all agreed that it's like this sounded Rain and Blood sounded yeah. incredible. And so they're just kind of like, we're going to do whatever we need to do. I would have to check if Rick Rubin produced them again, but I want to say he didn't. Yeah, because this, for whatever reason, like, I mean, with the other three songs, like, this song in particular just sounds really good. Like, yeah. It sounds very well produced mm-hmm. compared to some of the other. And maybe it's just, maybe it is because of just the way it's played. Yeah. You can hear everything a lot more. Uh-huh. And, yeah, it's just, again, they they wanted to deliberately take a slower approach to this album. There's, like, there's a couple of faster songs on the album, but, like, more of the, the songs are more mid-tempo to slow mm. and just kind of really creating a different atmosphere but still it's just like you hear the song it's like it's slayer yeah it's definitely slayer but it's a it's different slayer was really good about 
keeping things fresh while still staying very true to themselves. They never in their career went off into areas where you're just like, what are they doing? This is not Slayer. But they were always changing things up in very small ways to where they weren't making the same album over and over again. And so I, South of Heaven is a really good um, indication of kind of how they were able to change because they could have just made another Rain and Blood sure. where they're just playing like these fast, heavy riffs. And they're, they, I think that's really admirable of them to kind of try and figure out a new way and to do it so well to where when they make the change, they don't alienate the, all yeah. the fans they made with Rain and Blood. Like South of Heaven is like, everyone's just like yeah this is among the best slayer ever did mm. it's not a polarizing album at all so something new that we hear on this track that's not in any of um the previous tracks is the ending mm-hmm. just with the guitar feedback like very long yeah it's incredibly long and if you hear at the split second right before it changes tracks you can kind of hear the cymbal swell into what would be the second song on the album gotcha um and i really like how they how they end the song with that yeah. because it gives me a really good opportunity on where I want to go next with the set into one of my favorite Slayer songs. Chemical Warfare. Chemical Warfare. I think I could have guessed this is your favorite song. I would actually say Angel of Death is my favorite, but Chemical Warfare is really close. Mm. Um, this to me is just, I would say of all the songs, it's the most pure to thrash in of itself yeah because this is actually um this was on an ep that came out in between the first and the second album gotcha. called haunting the chapel had four songs on it and um this was actually in my opinion chemical warfare was kind of like the moment when slayer became slayer okay yeah. because it doesn't contain the traditional metal elements that the right. first album had um, but it's still it's got that more lo-fi sound mm-hmm. to it. Although in my opinion, it sounds better than a lot of what's on Hello Eights. But um, it's also when they really start to use double bass in the drums. There's really not that much double bass at all on the first album, surprisingly. And um, for me, that's just that's a thrash riff. Like thrash riffs, great thrash riffs are very rhythmic they're not as much melodic riffs where you can like hum along to but it's kind of more of like you have one or two notes and it's more about like the rhythm of how you're picking it yeah like a lot of the great metallica riffs are based off of that um and to me chemical warfare is the closest to like pure thrash that i think that they ever got as far as you know you've got the the lyrical content which is warfare chemical warfare to be specific um and it's very epic it's very atmospheric and just the way the parts are played is very thrash again so much speed yeah and but this is actually a longer slayer song this is about a six minute song so it's kind of a little bit opposed to what their mo is which is kind of crafting shorter songs although they in the beginning days they crafted longer songs and kind of as they got more into their career they were shortening their songs i think the most interesting thing to me is just the vocals um 
just the way that it sounds. And I, I can't really tell if it's because of just the, the lo-fi way in which like the album, this EP was produced, but um, it's kind of interesting just with the reverb just and it, how the, the vocals kind of sit a little back in the background compared uh-huh. to some of their older stuff. It sounds really good. This yeah. is one of my favorite Tom Mariah performances vocal-wise. Just he sounds really good. And then uh, I love... I love it whenever they so they do again the slow down in the middle and then they go back to that and then there's that break and you just kind of hear this faint scream in the background and then it just launches right back into double time and then that solo that tapping solo kicks in which of course you know Eddie Van Halen of course inspired by that but in a more menacing tone that whole part is just so good. And for me, there's just, there's so many great transitions in this song. Yeah. Transitions that when I hear it, it like I'm even thinking about it right now, I'm getting chills <laughs> because it's just, it's so well done and it's so like, um, foreboding sounding like whenever they go into the last verse, but before they do, you just hear like this, like overdubs of all this laughter going on. It's just like, this is like what I love about metal. Cause I'm a big horror movie fan Mm -hmm. and so i love the feeling of kind of being scared a little bit when i'm listening to music or watching a movie because that's just kind of exciting for me i love kind of that bands that can like create a sense of dread or an ominous feel like that's just i enjoy it because it's just it's entertaining to me and keeping in that theme again interesting outro ending Similar to our previous song. A, a really long trash can, but at the same time, it's got yep. a lot of sounds that are just yeah. coming in and out. It's not like a, you know, like a Van Halen trash can where everyone's like, you know, really yeah. going crazy. It's kind of almost just like, like, what's happening? And it does go on for a really long time. Yeah. And so then we get to the last song, and this is where the controversy as far as what songs I'm picking kicks in. So Slayer's... By far, most popular song is a song called Raining Blood. It's the last song on the Rain and Blood album. But for me, if I'm going to do a set that has a flow to it, on the Rain and Blood album, there's a song that comes before it called Postmortem that the song is actually an incredible setup to Raining Blood. And it actually, like, there's no pause. It's like it literally almost sounds like one long song. And I was just like, I want to have Postmortem in there, but Postmortem does not fit with the other songs that I've picked, and especially wouldn't work after having Chemical Warfare. And so I was just like, okay, what's another great closing Slayer song to use? And I was just like, Seasons in the Abyss, which is the title track and the last song on the Seasons of the Abyss album. And I felt like it'd be cool to have like more of a slower foreboding song to end the set with after having so many songs that are just like in your face like yeah driving punching you to kind of have a song that's a bit more on the creepy side it's even more so than south of heaven was it's kind of yeah. got more atmosphere to it's definitely it. much more dark much more ominous sounding um even just kind of how the like the the rhythm guitar riff is played like just how they they just kind of like they hit it and then they just kind of let it ring out and how it just mm-hmm. kind of like fades away um, is really, really dark sounding. Um, still kind of almost a little melodic with the guitar riff there. Mm-hmm. And then we also have our only instance of melodic singing. Yes. 
but it doesn't make it less creepy. It actually makes it kind of more creepy. Yeah, it's also kind of creepy that the the instrumental is so long before the vocals actually come in. Mm-hmm. It's definitely takes its time setting up the song, which I really I love it when songs do that when they kind of take their time in the intro, like when that that clean guitar comes in, and you're just like you know that you're kind of in for something epic. This is also a very long song. Yeah, it's another one of the longer ones in their discography. They're not known for making songs at that length. And I think you had mentioned earlier in the first segment that Seasons in the Abyss is a little bit more experimental for them too. Yeah, so pretty much Seasons in the Abyss is a common if you were to if you were to mush Rain and Blood and South of Heaven together, you get Seasons in the Abyss. So you've got incredibly fast songs like War Ensemble. But then you've got your your slower songs like Dead Skin Mask and Seasons in the Abyss. But they also really they really up the um, the ambiance on that album. Yeah, they use a lot more sound effects, a lot more like kind of washing guitar sounds that are kind of fading in and out to create like this atmosphere. And and also the the recording quality is a little lower on this album but i think that that was on purpose i think it's because they wanted to have that be a little bit a part of the um a little part of the ominous aesthetic yeah it feels like just an overarching theme of just this album and everything they were trying to accomplish i think that definitely helps them just because everything feels a little bit more mushed together Mm -hmm. you can't really discern like what what ends and what begins, where everything is, and I mm-hmm. think it certainly helps their cause. I think they picked the right amount of lo-fi to put on it. Yeah. Like, it's not lo-fi like their early stuff, because there's still a bit of a refinement to it. Yeah. But you can tell it's an intentional rather than we just don't have good recording equipment. And then, interesting enough, another outro that's similar to the last two songs. Mm-hmm. That was on purpose. That was definitely in mind whenever I was putting this together. Mm. So we have the more um, the more sudden um, endings in the first three songs, and then we have the prolonged, chaotic uh, outros on the second three songs. And I think it's kind of interesting. You've kind of really shown the progression of the band, even as itself, like just where they were, and then just kind of as time has gone on, just... You know, you mentioned earlier, like how they were still able to stay true to themselves, but also kind of bring their stuff in like a new light. Mm-hmm. One of the things that people respected the most about Slayer is that they never stopped sounding like Slayer. Most of the other thrash bands had at least a short period where they attempted to sell out and try and pretty much follow what Metallica was doing. Uh, like Megadeth had a pretty substantial amount of time in the 90s where they were chasing after Metallica. Right. And then Anthrax tried to um, kind of do the grunge thing because, again, they were a little more um, lighthearted, so they kind of could get away with having a bit more of a rock feel rather than metal, and fans did not like it. And sure. It's not very good. But Slayer... Always stayed dark. They always kept the the important ingredients 
Um, and while they did dip a little bit in the 90s, it didn't dip as much as the other band. Even Metallica had a, a dip in the 90s once they found fame. They definitely went too far into the commercial realm and did some questionable musical things. Hmm. Um, but like Slayer kind of never chased after that. They always, if they were going to change things up, they stayed in what was going on in the underground. And so that's kind of the respect that all these fans have for them is that they never had like a really low period like some of the other bands did. Gotcha. They kind of always still maintained a a somewhat high level of quality. Well, there you have it. That's Slayer. Slayer. So um, we will uh, come back in a little bit, talk about our bonus song, and then we'll get Justin's final thoughts. So stick with us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We are talking about the legendary band, Slayer. And the reason why we're talking about them is because they're finally hanging up, I don't know, what would you call it? The the mantle. The mantle, the the straps, the strings. The strings. Yeah, November 30th is going to be the last concert. It's actually in L.A., which is pretty cool. I mean, they're, they're a San Francisco band, but still, L.A. is, you know, where everything was happening. Of course. And so they're going to be at the Forum. And so, again, really glad that I got to see them in Oklahoma City last year. Mm. Get to be able to say that I've seen them once and saw a bunch of awesome opening acts as well. Sure. Um, and, yeah, so we just finished talking about the six songs that we picked for this set, which to recap was Angel of Death, Piece by Piece, Die by the Sword, South of Heaven, um, chemical Warfare, and Seasons in the Abyss. So now we're going to talk about the bonus song. Now, typically, the bonus song is a song that you've normally chosen because it's either somewhat related to the band or mm-hmm. uh, there's in the same genre or just something, even in the instance of the Cars episode, it's just part of the term yeah, <laughs> the band. Uh-huh. So what is the connection here? So we have um, a band called Creator, and that's Creator with a K because that's really metal, um, with the song Riot of Violence. So Creator is a part of another thrash big four, but they're called the Teutonic Four, and it's the big four thrash bands from Germany. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, those four bands being Creator, Sodom, uh, Annihilator, and Destruction. <laughs> All one-worded. <laughs> yes. Bands. All from Germany. And so they kind of like are a big four in their own. Creator was the biggest one of those four. But they have a lot of similarities sound-wise to Slayer. So this song, Riot of Violence. Yes. I was wondering if this band or the song came from a different country because just even just the term, the way it's phrased, I was like this. You can tell it's their English is not their first language. Yeah. It sounds like a translation. <laughs> yeah. And so metal is, 
the I would say the most global genre of music out there as far as you're going to find it just about everywhere around the world and they all kind of have their own brand of it. German thrash metal is very intense. Um, definitely among the more extreme areas of thrash metal. And Creator was definitely no exception. They've actually kind of gotten a little less extreme over time, but those that first uh, few albums of theirs, especially that um, that Pleasure to Kill album, is is a really raw, very unbridled record. Even me, that is really attuned and loves extreme music, has tr- I have trouble listening to some parts, not because it's too extreme for me, but because it's really wild. A lot of times the beats don't quite settle in, but I really love Ride of Violence. I think that it's got a lot of really interesting transitions, a lot of tempo changes, yeah, and just it's kind of a bit more of a traditional sounding thrash song, but of course with a bit more extreme elements thrown in there. Like the vocals. The vocals, yes. <laughs> Very interesting. Very um, telling of where death metal was about to be. In fact, I think actually all the first death metal records might have already been out by the time this album came out. Mm. But it definitely, death metal had not made its way to Germany yet. It was still in America and had yet to go global. So whether or not they were influenced by this first wave of death metal or if they were kind of still predicting what was rising. I'm not quite sure, but um, definitely even more extreme vocals than Slayer had. Yeah, definitely for sure. Again, so much speed. Um, Some really interesting guitar parts still. Mm -hmm. I mean, just when we're talking about hallmarks of just metal music in general. And again, it's kind of interesting to see you know, we last week we talked about you know Van Halen and and just and even you know the week before we talked about Iron Maiden. It's just so interesting to see kind of the progression and just how like all that has led us to here. You know, just yeah, just how just and it's so interesting to me like musically just how a little bit more aggressiveness, a little darker in tone, and this is this is where you end up. Mm-hmm. Like it's not far off. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, they you can tell that they were all raised on the same stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just they, these people just happen to have the ideas of what if we made it sound this way. And they also took it from a German perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which they have their own culture and history to pull from. Yeah, as I'm far sure. As Germ- Germany has created so many different interesting types of metal. Like you've got the Teutonic Thrash. You've got like how we talked about power metal. Remember Halloween, mm-hmm. the bonus song from Iron Maiden? They're from Germany. Right. And so you've got the beginning of power, which is like so opposite from where Thrash was. Yeah. As far as just, you know, the brightness and the melody. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the the regression of – and then you also got a band like the Scorpions that are from Germany as well. And you're giving me a blank stare, which makes me happy because that means I'll get to no introduce you to the Scorpions are. someday. Uh, they're they're probably the biggest band to come out of Germany. Mm. Um, but yeah, they just they they're able to kind of create these different metal landscapes that all are very different from each other, which is very cool to see. Well, that wraps up our episode for today. Yeah, so uh, let's get our let's get your final thoughts on Slayer. Whew, man, 
this was a really hard listen for me. I mean, right from the get-go, you get smacked in the face. <laughs> yeah. There's no easing into it. No, there really isn't. Um, but I think I think just having gone through all the bands that we've gone so f- through so far, just you know, delving into the metal world, it's been really interesting to see and being able to hear the differences between some of these subgenres and just like and just, you know, I mentioned earlier just the connection and just, you know, how how interesting it is to see like how it's progressed. Mm-hmm. Um and it's really hard to not appreciate just the level of skill and um man just like just the intensity and just the energy that comes with the music and you know you had mentioned earlier like when you listen to to them like it kind of brings out this primal like instinct and you just kind of like you know banging your head and like throwing your arms around if you'd have seen me at the slayer concert you would have been shocked <laughs> like i was a maniac there i didn't like push people but i was just like like I didn't even care what people thought around me because they were all doing the same thing. Yeah, I'm sure. It was so fun. That's funny. So fun. But yeah, it's just um I think it's interesting too how um the last three songs that we talked about or specifically about, you know, South of Heaven, like how just even just an upgrade in the quality of their production and their music just how that even that just made a difference um i think that was really the only song that i i actually enjoyed i think it was just the most musically interesting and i'm a little biased just because anytime there's something at halftime i'm just like all right i'm about that yeah so um it wasn't as bad as i thought it was gonna be but it also was kind of like this is what i expected (laughs) yeah hey that's actually generous from what i was thinking you would react to which is good um, and this was definitely a much better conversation than I thought was actually going to happen. Yeah. So that's a bonus. Yeah, that is good. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with kind of how everything went. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I love Slayer. and um, Also, I do appreciate how long they've been around. It, it, is, it is quite an achievement to have started in the 80s, just thinking, again, thinking about, like, that period of time, like, since Pop was was just coming around mm-hmm. and big and glam rock was all of a sudden was just like ricocheting like up the charts mm-hmm. and somehow in the underground <laughs> there's slayer and metallica uh-huh i mean and and then how they've just been around for so long i mean from the 80s until now is a long time yeah especially playing that intensive music and to go through like so many different um like time periods of music like it's amazing you mentioned it's amazing that they didn't die out when uh grunge came in Mm -hmm. because it really hit you know i think a lot of people do underestimate like how much grunge like really shifted the musical landscape in history Uh uh-huh yeah it absolutely did um they just when they came around there was just nothing else like it yeah Maybe if you were to get like really obscure, you could say, "Oh, well, this band was doing heavy stuff." But I was just like, "No one did it to the scope that Slayer and Metallica, and specifically Slayer, they just they really took extreme music to the next level and really set the the table for all the extreme genres of metal going forward." Yeah, who knows? If and when we'd have gotten death metal had Slayer not done what they did, 
or, you know, certain aspects of black metal and uh, grindcore, and they all kind of owe that um, that to Slayer, and that's why all these bands respect them so much, and why you can have these huge metal bands like Lamb of God and Anthrax go out and be willing to be the opening act for Slayer on their farewell tour, because they want to pay respect to one of the godfathers of heavy metal. Right. Like, there's there's only a few bands that those bands would be willing to open for, and Slayer is absolutely one of them. They do, they did it in a heartbeat. So there you have it. There's our tribute to the legendary band Slayer. Yes, if you're going to be around any of these times where they're going on this final leg, go out and see them. It's the only chance you're going to get. After this, they're done. So um, I'm really glad that I got my chance to see them. And, yeah, so... Next week, we're going to be going really far back. We're going to be looking at one of the original bands that came over in the British Invasion and looking at how they actually uh, really progressed music moving forward and brought a lot of important ingredients. So uh, come by next week for that. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, Please hit the subscribe button, leave a review, Um, Let us know what you think, what artists and songs you would like for us to cover in a future episode, and um, make sure to check out these songs in Spotify. The uh, instructions for finding that are in the description. Also, there's a link for you to be able to donate and support our channel, and thank you so much again for listening. I'm Lucas. And I'm Justin. Keep on listening to good music.